Hello, I'm Monty Schinkel of Take Heart Ministries. We're so thankful to have this opportunity to preach the gospel and to continue to tell people that they can take heart because Jesus cares for them. A part of what we're doing is a weekly podcast. We'll focus upon different passages of scripture and heroes from the Bible. This week, we're going to be looking at Elijah. In fact, over these next several weeks, we're going to be talking about the days of Elijah. Elijah lived during a difficult time in the land of Israel, as we live in a difficult time today. And yet through it all, he stayed strong in the Lord, and he brought God's faithful message to the people of Israel that they could take heart because they had a God who was strong and mighty against all the gods that Ahab and Jezebel and anyone else would bring up. Elijah's God prevailed. And on Mount Carmel and down in the valley and off in the desert, until the Lord took him to heaven, God was with him. And these are the days of Elijah. Take your Bible and turn with me, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 18. We're continuing our uh, study of the days of Elijah, and to this point we've looked at Israel as a nation in turmoil, and it was. And Elijah pronounced the judgment of God. In 1 Kings chapter 17, he said, it's not going to rain but by my word, no rain nor dew, but by my word. And so immediately after that, God said to Elijah, hide thyself. So 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah goes to the brook of Cherith because God had commanded the ravens to feed him there. And when the brook dried up, he went to a widow in Zarephath because God had commanded a widow woman there to sustain him. And so they, they never had a barrel full, but they always had at least a handful, and God met his need all the way through. So 1 Kings chapter 17, God says, hide thyself. 1 Kings chapter 18, at the opening of this chapter, God says, now the time is right. Israel would not have listened to your message before. Uh, they, they wouldn't have listened before, but now after three and a half years of tribulation, three and a half years of drought, show thyself unto Ahab. It's time for a, an accounting in the land of Israel. And so that's kind of where we pick up this morning. And chapter 18 is one of the greatest chapters in all of God's Word. And it begins in verse 1, And it came to pass after many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. There'd be a sore famine anywhere that there's not been rain for three and a half years. And Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house. Now, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. This is interesting. Here's a man that seems to have his feet planted solidly in both worlds. Here he is serving King Ahab, who is the wickedest, vilest, most horrible king that Israel ever had. I mean, that's what the Bible says about him. That was God's estimation of him, that there was no king like Ahab, who was such as, as Dr. R.G. Lee described him, as a vile human toad that squatted on the throne. And so here's this man that, uh, that serves him, and yet the Bible says he fears the Lord greatly. And so Ahab says to Obadiah, go find some grass. Go out on a grass hunting expedition. We got horses and mules that are about to die because there's not any grass. You go, go throughout the land. And up to this time, Ahab has sent a lot of people out. He sent to all the provinces and kingdoms around saying, could you find Elijah for me? I sure would like to have a one-on-one -on -one with Elijah. Go find Elijah. 
So God says to Elijah, go show yourself. And we look down here about verse 7. And as Obadiah was in the way, behold, Elijah met him, and he knew him and fell on his face and said, Art thou that, my Lord, Elijah? And he answered him and said, I am. Go tell thy Lord, speaking of Ahab, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, What have I sinned that thou wouldst deliver thy servant in the hand of Ahab to slay him as the Lord God liveth? There is no nation or kingdom whether my Lord is not sent to seek thee. And, and when they said he is not here, he took an oath of the kingdom. You sure he's not there and nation and found thee not? And now thou sayest, Go, tell thy Lord, Behold, Elijah is here, and it shall come to pass, as soon as as I am gone from thee, that the Spirit of the Lord shall catch thee away, whether I know not. And so when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find thee, he shall slay me. For I, thy servant, fear the Lord from my youth. Was it not told my Lord what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred in the Lord's prophets by fifty in caves, and I fed them with bread and Water, and now you say, go tell my Lord, behold, Elijah's here, and he's going to kill me. That's a fast-running conversation. Look at verse 17. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house in that you've forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you followed Balaam. Balaam is the plural of Baal. Baal, sometimes pronounced Baal. Probably the proper pronunciation is Baal. But he says, yes, amen. Now therefore sin and gather to me. I love it when kids listen. (laughs) Hallelujah. I wish their parents would. And he said... Now therefore send and gather me all Israel into Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Now at this point, you know the story. They all come together, and Elijah puts the challenge before him and says, I want you to you, you build your altar, you lay out your sacrifice, you do your thing, and you call on your God. And uh, then I'm going to build an altar, and I'm going to lay out the sacrifice. I'm going to do all the preparations, which we'll talk about later. And I'm going to do all those things, and I'll call on my God and let the God that answers by fire, let him be God. And they said, that's good, that we'll do that. So all the prophets of Baal and all the prophets of Groves, they come together and they lay their sacrifice out. And you see, they're praying to a nothing God. They're praying to false gods give no answer. Uh, There may be some kind of hocus-pocus magic that somebody comes up with, but false gods give no answer. So they're praying to a nothing God, and they begin to call out. And part of what they do is they cut themselves, and they yell. And and this is such a wonderful picture. (laughs) I mean, it's an amazing picture because here is Elijah, and honestly, he has no respect for a piece of rock, for a stone that they've crafted their own hands. So he begins to say to him, call louder. Maybe he's asleep. Uh, Maybe he's uh, gone on a vacation. He's out in the Rockies or he's down at the beach. Uh, He's in Party Cove at Lake of the Ozarks. 
I mean, there, there's all different kinds, and, and he just throws this in their face. Call out louder, call out louder. So they beat themselves, and they cut themselves, and they, they do all this, and finally, at the end of the day, when nothing's happened, uh, there, this God who is no God, who has no ability to send anything, he, th- when everything has come to conclusion, and it's all over, nothing's happened. So Elijah, he lays, he, he rebuilds, begins to rebuild takes 12 stones, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel, and he begins to rebuild this altar. And so he builds up the altar, and then he kills a bullock to put on this altar. And then he sends, think about this, we're going to talk about it in a couple weeks again. He sends to get water. Where are you going to get water when it hadn't rained three and a half years? Somebody has to make a sacrifice. But he says, bring, uh, bring four barrels of water, pour it on the altar. They did that. Bring four more, they did it. Bring four more, they did it. Water runs over, down around the ditch, everywhere, around the, around the, uh, all, over the sacrifice and over the stones and over the altar, and it's filled up. And then Elijah prays a very simple little 30-some word prayer to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And he says, let everybody know that you are God. Boom! Fire fell. It consumed the water. It consumed the sacrifice. It consumed the altar. And the people fell down and they said, the Lord God, he is God. The Lord God. In other words, Jehovah, Yahweh, he is God. He's the only God. And then it hadn't rained three and a half years, but Elijah said, get ready, it's going to rain. So he goes and prays. He doesn't give up on, up on praying. He prays seven times until finally his servant says, I see a cloud about the size of a man's hand. And he said, get ready. You go down and tell Ahab, big rain's coming. And it did. Now, that's kind of the story of 1 Kings 18. I want to make some application this morning. Let's talk a little bit about Baal. Uh, according to Canaanite mythology, Baal or Baal was the son of El, the chief god and Asherah, the goddess of the sea, Baal was considered the most powerful of all gods, eclipsing El, who was seen as rather weak and ineffective. In various battles, Baal defeated Yom, the god of the sea, and Mot, the god of death. Aren't you glad you're not into all this stuff? In the underworld, Baal's sisters or consorts were Ashtaroth, the fertility goddess associated with the stars, and Anath, a goddess of love and war. The Canaanites worshipped Baal as the sun god and as the storm god. He is usually depicted, this is really interesting, he is usually depicted as holding a lightning bolt who defeated enemies and produced crops. They also worshipped him as a fertility god who provided children. Baal worship was rooted in sensuality and involved ritualistic prostitution in the temples. At times, appeasing Baal required human sacrifice, usually the firstborn of of, of the one making the sacrifice. And the priests of Baal appealed to their god in rites of wild abandon, which included loud, ecstatic cries and self-inflicted injury. So you get the picture. Baal gives crops, but there are no crops. Baal sends rain, but there is no rain. Baal carries a lightning bolt, but he can't send fire. The key question, in many ways, the key verse in this whole chapter is verse 21. And Elijah came unto all the people and he said, How long halt ye between two opinions? 
If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. Standing on Mount Carmel that day, there were three classes of people. There was at least one man, Elijah, who had made his choice before he ever walked up to that mountain that day. It was already a settled issue with him. He did not halt between two opinions. He knew who was the Lord. And I wonder if perhaps, based upon the fact that when he says, go get four barrels of water, go get four barrels of water, go get four barrels of water, I don't think it was an unbeliever that would go get four precious, 12 precious barrels of water to dump out on the ground on a sacrifice. I think there might have been some other believers up there that were waiting to see, what's God going to do? This thing has gone on long enough. So here's Elijah. He's made his choice. There are at least 950 prophets of Baal or Baal that are standing there on that hill. They've made their choice. They, they're, ready to make it, they're, they're ready to live with the consequence. You see, if you make your choice, you say, well, well, we believe that everybody ought to have a choice. Worship whoever you want to. Elijah believed the very same thing. He said, you go ahead and worship whoever you want to. This business of limping along between two opinions, that's what the word means. You limp along, you halt. How long halt you between two opinions? If God be the Lord God, be God, then serve him. If Baal, then serve him. You see, you've got those that are firmly planted in the fact that the Lord God is God. Then you've got those that are firmly planted in the fact that this false God is God. But the great majority that were gathered there on top of Mount Carmel that day were in between, just like where Americans are today, just like where our nation is this morning. You got some folks that say, there's only one God, and Jesus Christ is his name. He's the one we serve. And no matter what comes, no matter what, uh, what power, what force, what ever may arrive in our day or may arise in our day, there is only one God. We serve the Lord God. We serve Jesus Christ. Let come what may. Then you've got those folks that say, no, that's not the case. Their minds are made up also. The choice that we've made, the direction we're going, we're going to go do our own thing. And Elijah would say to you, you go ahead and you do your own thing. You choose whatever God you want to serve. You go that direction, but let me give you just a word of warning. The consequences are going to be real. The further you go, the longer you live, the further you go, the more you push away, the more you do, the more you reject the one true God, then you go ahead and do that. I'd say that to people today. I would say with Elijah, then you've made up your mind and you've studied this thing out. You think that, that you can just choose any God, do anything, live any way. Everybody's going the same. You go ahead with that, but understand there are consequences out there. But it's to the rest of you that I appeal to you this morning. Hello, this is Monty Schenkel, and we sure appreciate you listening to this podcast. This is a new effort on our part from Take Heart Ministry. A little over a year ago, we began Take Heart Ministry with the intention of telling people by means of radio and also the internet and now by podcasts that they can take heart because Jesus cares for them. If you'd like to know more about us, if you'd like to check our ministry out, you can go to takeheart.org. 
If you would like to personally contact me, you can write to Monty Schenkel or you can write to mschenkel at takeheart.org. Thank you for listening, and now back to the podcast. There must have been a mass of people that gathered on Mount Carmel. Carmel is a big mountain, and it looks out over the Valley of Jezreel, also known as the Valley of Armageddon. It's quite a picturesque sight. If you look to the south, you can see the Mediterranean Sea. If you look to the north, you can almost see all the way to Nazareth. You see, Israel's not that big a place. And here's Mount Carmel, and they all gather together. The issue of the people of Israel was uh, the issue of a true and open uh, allegiance to one true God. Not a divided allegiance, but an open allegiance to the one true God. For a long time, they'd experimented with be open-minded and non-judgmental, and they entertained the thought that there were many paths to eternal peace. I'm sure with them, it was okay if Elijah wanted to believe what Elijah believed. If you want to believe Yahweh, then that, that's okay because that's the God of our fathers. And after all, there's a little bit of sentimentality. We've been taught that way, and so that's okay. We can tolerate the fact that you believe in this one true God, Yahweh, this Old Testament God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You believe that, then that's all right. We can, we can tolerate that, but do, do something. Do us a favor, Elijah. Don't try to push that stuff over on us. These folks probably still knew the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And thou shalt worship the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. To translate it into modern times, they probably had a Bible laying on their coffee table, and in that Bible there was a, there was a baptism certificate. Put on the spot, and you say, quote some scripture. They quote some scripture. Judge not lest you be judged. Some of them might even been able to say John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believed in him should not perish to have everlasting life. Is in their mind they went to vacation Bible school and their children. They can sing all the words, Jesus loves me. They're taught in school the Lord's Prayer. I say school, Sunday school. But I learned it in public school. They never missed a Christmas Eve service. You say, Brother Monty, you're, you're, really, you're really out there when you, when you talk like that. They attended every, every Sunday, every Easter Sunday. They thought the pastor always, every sermon he ever preached was on the resurrection. This morning I'm speaking to three kinds of people. Just like what was gathered that day on Mount Carmel. Some people are all in for Jesus Christ. Some people are all in for the devil. They've calculated the costs and benefits, and, and they're prepared to pay the full cost of their li- with their life. Hell is out there, and they'd say, well, I don't really think it is, but you better be ready for the fact that it is out there. And, but most people are halting between two opinions. They limp along, like Tevi in Fiddler on the Roof. Did you ever see Fiddler on the Roof? He's listened to three of his friends in a big argument. One of them makes a statement. He says, you, my friend, are right. Another one makes a statement, and he says to that one, you, my friend, are also right. And the third one says, now, wait a minute. They can't both be right. And he said, and you, my friend, are also right. The issue before them, today, the issue before us today Uh, is the same as the issue before them that they dealt with 2,600 years ago. It is the person and nature of God. That is, 
you know, the, the, all the issues in our country and in our world is about this, who sits on the throne? Boil it all down, it's a power issue. Who sits on the throne of the universe? And dear friend, you can't afford to halt between two opinions on this. And let me tell you what it looks like very quickly to halt between two opinions. I'm running out of time already. Number one, to say all gods are equal when they are not is to halt between two opinions. The belief that there is room to accommodate more than one God. To make it a little simpler, it is to say, I can be a Christian plus. I can add Christianity to my life. I can make it as a part of my culture. I can be a Christian plus. You fill in the blank. I can embrace several systems of truth all at one time. That is limping between two opinions. That is fence straddling. Can you worship more than one God? No, you can't. That's holding two opinions. Can in one corner of the room you build an altar to Jehovah, and in the other corner you build an altar to Baal? You say, well, that, that is my opinion, that, that I can... I have just one opinion. I have Baal in one corner of the room. I have God, Yahweh, in the other corner of the room. And my opinion is that you can worship both gods at the same. That is not one opinion. That is two opinions, Elijah would say. Because to follow after the one true God, uh, you've got to make a choice. It is only one God. Only one. So if, if, if we say, you know, we, we halt along when we say all gods are equal, when all gods are not equal. Some of them are just stones and rocks. Some of them are non-existence. The invention of man, they've been made up by man. To say this, all perceived truth. Here's the second thing, to say all perceived truth is valid when it isn't. We are really living in a time when people say, well, what you believe to be true, that is true to you. What I believe to be true is true to me. What someone else believes to be true is true to them. Let's leave everybody alone and you find your own system of truth. There are not two systems of truth or a dozen systems of truth. There's only one system of truth. We like big words and smart talk. So, we lean back in our chairs, and we sit and listen to our philosophers talk. I know this, folks. I went to college. I, I'm dead serious now. I went to college. And so we sit and listen to that, 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 and I even, I had one professor in seminary who was a good man and a godly man and a very wise man, and he was some of the, some of our students thought he was the, he was the best professor they ever had, and he was a good and godly man, but I'd sit in my chair and I never had the slightest idea what that man's talking about. It's like, huh? Some of them were going, hmm, ah, hmm, and I'm saying, What? You see, we all long to have approval by those that we deem to be superior to us. So somebody has traveled this world, and they've done a lot of studying, and they've got a good education, they've been to uh, the, the highest academic school of the land, they got all this all worked out, they speak with words you don't really understand, and they lay all this out before you, then you say, that must be good. And so when they come up with a different system of truth, you say, man, that has merit. We've got to think about that. This person's got a doctorate, got a double doctorate, got a quadro doctorate. 
can't talk, but he's got a quadra doctor. There are teachers, they write books. They have millions of Twitter followers. So did the prophets on, you didn't know this, but they did. Those guys on Mount Carmel, they had Twitter followers. There's folks Twitter paid it by what they taught. Some of you don't even know what it means to be Twitter paid it. And so we, they want our approval. We want to approve them. We want them to be approving of us. They are worldly wise, as in Pilgrim's Progress. Mr. Worldly Wise comes along, and so he begins to espouse great truths. I met guys like this. I knew guys like this when I was a kid growing up. They sat on the front porch in the Napoleon grocery store, and they philosophized about life. You remember the movie God's Not Dead? We saw it just... Less than a year ago, here's this professor. He gets everybody in his class moving the same direction. But there are people that know better. Go talk to your grandmother and grandfather. Now, I'm serious. You go talk to your grandmother and grandfather. You talk to the aged that are among us who've laughed a lot and loved a lot and buried a lot. Because you see, those folks have encountered death many times in life. When you encounter death many times in life, this is not about some kind of philosophy and some kind of truth. The truth is, you're going to die, and you're going to step into eternity, and you're going to face God. Now, who are you going to serve? Bob Dylan wrote it. You're going to serve somebody. Who are you going to serve when you step into eternity? You better, you better choose the only true God. You better choose the only system of truth. And you better get comfortable with that. Be comfortable in your own skin. Don't worry about the high and mighty words and trying to make everybody happy out there. You be yourself. Be like the old brother that said, you better be who you is because if you is who you ain't, then you ain't who you is. You better be who you is. Here's the third thing. To say we must never offend when we really can't say that. Now, we're not supposed to be offensive, and I don't mean that. I realize some folks have left here and say, that man offended me. I don't really mean to be offensive. And you say, well, if you're making, and, and I do make fun of people. I make fun of my people, my own family, so don't, don't be bothered by that. I make fun of the Buffington boys. Don't be bothered by that. I can't call them boys anymore. They're becoming old men. You guys, don't be bothered by that. But I've come to also understand that Truth cuts. That's why the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts. You think people were not on Mount Carmel that day offended that Elijah would even ask such a question? How long halt ye between two opinions? The nerve of that man. To say that I need to make a decision and I need to make it today, keep your views to yourself. Don't you make fun of my God. This ridiculous piece of stone that you could sit on, you worship. This piece of wood, Isaiah pointed it out, this piece of wood that uh, you make a pew out of, you make a bed out of, you make a dinner table out of, you build a fire to keep you warm, and then you bow down, you make something out of it, and you bow down and worship. Number four, we're halting between two opinions. When we go along to get along with the king, when the king is wrong, 
can't speak against Ahab. He's the king. Well, king was wrong. It's criminal when a bridge is out, and you know the bridge is out, and you don't do anything to warn people that the bridge is out. When we would say a man is justified to uh, strip his clothes off to wave them, uh, lay down in the road, throw a rock through your window, do anything he could to get your attention to stop you from running over the edge when the bridge is out. It's criminal to have the position of a watchman on the wall And an enemy is coming, and an enemy is at the gates, and you don't warn the people. That's, that's criminal. Ahab was wrong. Elijah said, you're wrong. And Elijah confronted him with his wrongness. There are times when the boat has to be rocked. And Elijah was rocking their boat. And you think three and a half years with no rain wouldn't rock your boat? It does. Number five, to say faith is to be private when it cannot be. So Elijah puts the question before him. How long halt you between two opinions? If God be God, then serve him. But if Baal, then serve him. And the Bible says, the last part of verse 21, and the people answered him, not a word. Neither did they appreciate him asking the question. If God be God, then serve him. If Baal, then serve him. And the people answered him, not a word. Now, everything changes in verse 39 because the Bible says in verse 39, after the fire's fallen and the altar's been consumed and the water's been licked up and all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is the God, the Lord, he is the God. Now what happened between verse 21 and verse 39 was God showed up. I see a multitude of parallels. Here we are saying all gods are equal when they're not. All truths deserve credence when some of them are only perceived truth. All people must be kept happy when they can't be. All kings must be unchallenged when they must not be. All faith must be kept private when it shouldn't be. How long halt you between two opinions? At the Alamo, maybe urban legend, I don't know, that Colonel Travis took a sword and drew a line in the sand and said, if you're going to stay, cross that line if you're going to go, we'll get you out of here. Don't cross the line. And all those men that died in the Alamo crossed the line. You see, that, that, that's a question. That's a determination. There's no turning back on that type of an issue. It's all surrender. Everybody's in all the way. This is a question that decides our eternity. Will your faith be public? It's an important question. And yes, there will be a cost. The first part of Elijah's question was, how long it is implied that this had gone on for a long time? Charles Spurgeon said, for three and a half years, not a drop of rain had fallen to the command of Jehovah. Is not that proof enough? 
You've been all this time, three years and a half, expecting that I should come, Jehovah's servant, and give you rain, and yet, though you yourselves are starving, your cattle are dead, your fields are parched, your meadows covered with dust like the very desert, yet all this time of judgment and trial and affliction has not been enough for you to make up your mind. How long halt you between two opinions? There's some of you in this building this morning, 60 years hadn't been enough. You've just been staggering, crippling, back and forth between two opinions. When you know you should have been all in with Jesus Christ, you should have cast your lot there because you said, well, you know, in my heart, but I think personally it's it's a personal thing, and you have a personal thing, uh, but it's not a private thing. There has to be a time in your life when you say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. You have to take a public stand. You've been halting a long time. You've been crippling long a long time. Some of you that, some of you this morning, young men, young women, that you've said, well, you know, when I get married and I get my family and, and, and I finish my education and I've got a career started, then, okay, so what are you waiting for now? There are some of you that have children in your home, and they're looking to you. They're looking to you to see how serious you take this thing. And you continue to haul between two opinions. I was talking to Brother Chris the other day. We've had 31 children in our church have publicly confessed faith in Jesus Christ. Their parents have been given a little workbook to work through them that we do before they come to the point of being baptized. 31 children that are waiting for their parents to say, this is important to me as well. Important to my children. Important to my children and important to me, then come on, parents, let's get on board. Let's understand that we're living in a day when we can talk about it, come to church, all of these things. When you leave here on a Sunday morning or when you leave here through the course of the week, it, it is this. It's not a personal, it's a public thing. You have the church today. There's never been a better day to be a Christian. Never been a day when we've been more needed than we are today. It doesn't mean it's been an easier time, but there's never been a better time to say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. There is no other God. There is, I'm telling you, you say, well, that is judgmental. There is no other God. There is no other system of truth. There is no other path to heaven. There is only one God. There's only one path. Jesus said, I am the way. And folks, I'm standing on that this morning, that Jesus is the only way to God. I don't want to come across as angry. I've prayed about that. In our day when there's so many things that bother me, I don't want to come across as angry. But but if, if 1 Kings 18 offends you, because there would be a prophet that would arise that would put people to the test, I'm sorry you're offended, but when the, when the fire fell that day, there was only one man standing on Mount Carmel that was right. You're going to have to choose. You've halted a long time. Everything, every kind of excuse that possibly come along has kept you from being all in for Jesus Christ. The time for excuses is over. The time to follow Jesus is today. Thank you for listening to this podcast today. We appreciate you tuning in. We pray that this has been a blessing to you. And I pray that today you in your own heart can take heart because you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. And Jesus came to be the Savior of all who would call upon him. And if today you've never trusted in him, I encourage you to say, Lord Jesus, 
Come into my life, forgive me and save me. And God's word says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our purpose in all of this is to encourage you to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to grow in Jesus, and to take heart in Jesus. He cares for you.